We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor. Send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Hello and welcome to the Eurostep episode 20. Game one is in the books with the Boston Celtics and the Bucks have gone down. We have got a lot to talk about today. I'm Kane Pittman and I am joined once again by Ty Windish who is back after missing the last episode and Ty. Uh, it would probably be hard for things to go much worse than they did today. Yeah, I think I agree with that one. Uh, not exactly the start to round two at Pfizer Forum that the Bucks or Bucks fans or anyone Bucks affiliated was hoping for here. That's uh, that's pretty safe to say. Yeah, the Bucks go down 112 to 90. It's their biggest loss of the season. It's also their, obviously their biggest loss in Pfizer Forum. So a uh, really unfamiliar feeling, I, I guess, for Bucks fans who have been at that arena or Bucks fans watching from home or wherever they were. Uh, just not something that, that they've been accustomed to this year and uh, particularly coming off the back of that first round series. But uh, again, this is something that we spoke about that you know was something that could have potentially happened. The Bucks cruised through the end of the regular season. They cruised through the first round of the playoffs. They come up against a Boston team that's hungry, a Boston team that is very talented, a Boston team that plays great defense, and the Celtics really hit the Bucks early with this one. They got a double-digit lead uh, early in the game. Kyrie Irving was hitting every single tough shot you could imagine, and the Celtics had a nine-point lead after the first quarter, and really the start of this game was where it all went wrong for the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, right away, 
just I th- this is something that I've been kind of I don't know arguing, debating, whatever about on Twitter a lot during and since the game. I mean, Boston's offense played well. I mean, they scored enough points clearly. One twelve with some garbage time there at the end when both teams had the uh, victory and defeat cigars, um, you know, per se, in the game. But I I thought – I didn't think their offense was overwhelmingly good, but I think from right away you saw – everyone saw the Bucs' offense just could not get anything going. I mean, it starts with the honest, but Brooke Lopez, Eric Bledsoe, and Sterling Brown combined to shoot three for 17 from the field and two for 11 from three. I mean, just ugly offense from almost everyone on the Bucs and – it just Boston's defense is good, but it shouldn't be that effective, especially against the Bucs, who you know have been a top three offense and defense literally all season. Yeah, sometimes I, I feel like sometimes, and obviously we're going to look a little bit deeper into game one as we go along. But I also think sometimes with basketball, it's just simple. And when you look at the box score after the first quarter, and Giannis hasn't made a basket, and in fact. All the Bucks uh, that were not named Chris Middleton or George Hill were 0 for 10 from the field. The Bucks are 26% heading into the first break and Boston are 54% from the field. That set the tone for the game and it never really changed after that. And uh, again, I, I agree with you. In the end, Boston finished with 112 points on the day. And I don't think that that's a total that the Bucks are worried about. I mean, the Bucks have put up that amount of points all, all year long. They just could not make a shot. They got a little bit stagnant in the half court. And when Boston is shooting such a high percentage, it really makes it hard for Milwaukee to get out in transition and get those fast break points, which is something we know they want to do, and it's a way to get Giannis going. Yeah, I mean, the Bucks are a good team all around, and we've seen them play well and win as you know in the first round. If that can even be looked at at playoffs after this, you know, even when Giannis wasn't going well at Game Three, but you know, we've always known, I think, and this is true for every team against tough competition, against maybe matchups that aren't in your favor in the playoffs, you go with your best player. It's pretty rare for a team, you know, especially the Bucks, who are not a super team by any means, for the best player to not play well, or at least early, or, or not be able to really get going, and for that team to get a lot of wins in high-pressure games against really good teams. And, I mean, that's what happened here. I mean, without Giannis getting going, it felt like no one else could either, and I mean, that's sort of a chicken and egg thing. Maybe if some other guys were making shots, it would have opened up more room for Giannis as well. But I think I think you're right in saying it's not that complicated. You look at the box score after the game. You look at Giannis's numbers. I mean, he didn't end awfully, 7 for 21 from the field. He did get 22 points. But if Giannis is a minus 24, that's usually a pretty damn bad thing for Milwaukee. Yeah, I think it's pretty. we should all be pretty comfortable in saying if Giannis is, has the worst box score plus minus of the Bucs, they're, they're not going to win a game. So... Giannis finishes, he does top score for the Bucs with 22 points, uh, but he's only able to get two assists, which really shouldn't surprise anyone because no one could hit a shot. But himself, he finishes 7 for 21 from the field. And the Bucs only have 26 points in the paint, and they shoot 13 for 38 in the paint. Just a horrific night for a team that that lives in there, and also from the outside, they they were, did not fare much better. So I just looked up some of the numbers here. If you want to, we've spoke all year about the fact that when the Bucs lose, and this isn't this isn't made up. This is just what's happened. When the Bucks lose, it's generally an outlier performance from the other team shooting the ball, or the Bucks have one of these nights uh, from the field. So Boston finished fifty four percent from the field. The Bucks thirty four percent. So the numbers are that the Bucks are now two and six on the season when the opposition shoots over fifty percent from the field, 
and the Bucks are 0 and 2 on the season when they shoot below 35%. And this shouldn't surprise you. The two losses are today by 22 points to Boston, and the other one was the second biggest loss, the now second biggest loss of the season when they lost by 20 points to Orlando at Fiserv Forum. So, yeah, this is the first time this has happened all season, and he couldn't think of a worse time for it to happen in Game One. But Boston get over fifty percent, the Bucks are below thirty five percent, and that's a that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and I think I mean I don't want to make it sound like this was inexplicable, like it it wasn't in my opinion just the fact that you know guys were cold. I didn't think there were a lot of good shots set up all night. I thought, I mean, Giannis was at times aggressive, which is good, but. I thought the aggression kind of towed the line into recklessness a lot. There was so many times where he just tried to either drive against Horford, which really is driving against like four Celtics because they sold out so hard to stop him. I mean, their game plan very clearly on defense is don't let Giannis get to the rim. Whatever else happens, fine, we'll deal with it. We're not letting Giannis get to the rim, and they didn't. And um, that's just the, – the just watching – that be tried over and over again. To me, it was very frustrating because we've seen the Bucks, and I, I've, I started to tweet things like this, you know, recently, especially in the playoffs. Like when the Bucks play like the Bucks should, they're really good and, and they win a lot. You know, when they move the ball, they find open shooters, they use motions to create space on offense, they win games. And when they don't, I mean, sometimes they still win because they are a really good team. But there's other times there's games like this where they can't get anything going and. I mean, after the fifth or sixth time that Giannis drove against Horford and three, two, three other guys collapsed in the paint and it's a turnover, a missed shot, or a block, whatever, I was just pulling my hair out. Like, we got to try something else. Like, I think I wasn't the only person on Twitter. And it's, you know, it's, listen, it's a lot easier to yell on Twitter than it is to manage a game or coach a game. I'm, I'm very cognizant of this. But I think everyone was saying, hey, let's see, Giannis is a role man. You know, let's see some other looks. Like, we can't just keep doing this. Like, it, it's not working. And to open the second half, Chris Middleton's the ball handler. Giannis is the role man. It opens up a wide open lane for Giannis, who draws the foul and misses the free throws, which is a whole other thing we can talk about later. But you know, it was it was promising. It was because Middleton started off really hot. It's okay. Let's put these two guys together. This is going to be hard for Boston to guard, and they didn't go back to it at all. And I know personally that was maybe the most frustrating thing to me that we saw that happen and we saw it work, and then from there it just goes back into more random various bucks just basically isoing and trying to drive on a Boston defense that almost seems surprised at how easy it was to guard this team. Yeah, I think I think we've seen this a little bit with the Bucks through the season. And I agree, I, I did see your tweet uh, with that first possession where he was able to find uh, Giannis in the pick and roll. They hit a couple of threes and actually take an early lead uh, in the second half before it, it just all uh, went uh, the wrong side of, of what they wanted to do. But uh, Giannis... I think this was a big key for Boston coming into the series. This is what I've said multiple times, is that if they can frustrate Giannis and and force him into doing things that or not being patient and trying to force the issue, then that's how you can make Giannis in, uh, inefficient. And I, I think that uh, for the most part this season, he's learned how to work through those types of frustrations and make the right pass and trust his teammates. Um, what we saw today was that the Bucks had the sort of the death combination of not only was Giannis, uh, you know, really battling in the pain against multiple bodies, even when he did make a pass out, the Bucks just couldn't hit a shot. The ball swings weren't there. They weren't sharing the ball as much as we've seen in the past. So, look, just everything was, uh, you know, went wrong for the Bucks. I agree. I would like to see some more 
uh, I guess creativity from from Bud. I also think that Bud uh, wanted to keep persisting with Giannis and get him try and get him going, and also try and get the Celtics in foul trouble. Horford picked up his second foul early in the second quarter. Uh, Baines also had two, uh, and Kyrie picked up uh, his second, I believe, as well. So maybe that's the way Bud was looking. But look, ju- just forcing the issue tonight was was not a uh, a, a good tactic for the Bucks because the other thing is Giannis was working through a lot of contact and not getting the whistle. So that's gonna, yeah. that's going to be something to watch. I know Giannis does get to the foul line in the end, uh, you know, more times than anyone else on the floor. But if that's the way this series is going to be. Uh, uh, cold, particularly when you look at the, this game was in Milwaukee. That's not a good sign for Giannis if that's the way they want to play moving forward in this series. They need to find some different actions and some different looks for him. Yeah, I mean, I just think you. I think the Bucks need to force the action away from the basket. I think you know get guys who can shoot off off the dribble, especially Middleton. I mean, Bledsoe. The thing about Bledsoe's game, I really didn't like. I mean, obviously, just a horrible game for him, and and really you know, evoked fears of a repeat of last season's playoff performance. But he has he's one for five. Okay, whatever. Sometimes a guy misses shots, that's fine. Four of his five shots and all four misses were three. So he's one for one from two-point range. And weirdly small minutes for Bledsoe, maybe because he was kind of getting worked. But in 25 minutes, Eric Bledsoe should take more than one shot from two-point range. I mean, we've talked about him being too passive before. It wasn't an issue in the first round just because – I mean, the Pistons couldn't keep up with the Bucs. It didn't really matter if there was some sloppiness. But, I mean, this is a guy who we all know he can beat pretty much anyone and get to the rim. And the Celtics are not putting elite defenders on Eric Bledsoe. They're just not. Like, they're entirely focused on Giannis. For him to not do any more is troubling to me. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe maybe not him, you know, running pick and roll with Giannis because I don't really need to see too many more Eric Bledsoe pull up threes right at the moment. But Chris Middleton especially, I think, those two – that just seems like such a dynamic combination. I mean, if you make that pick up by the arc, if Horford drops back for Giannis, one of those two guys is going to be open with some space. And maybe the one bright spot for me from this game, and I know a lot of people tweeted like, oh, that's a win for the Celtics whenever they whenever Giannis pulls up for a three. I mean, it's not a win if he shoots 60% from deep at the end of the day. Like, theoretically, if he shoots his average, then it's a win for them, obviously. But if Giannis, I mean, he's three for five from deep, he looked comfortable. And I, I like the fact that, you know, this was not like him being very confident and having a great game and just going to that to see if he could do it. I mean, this was, I mean, those threes were important, I thought, in at least for a little <laughs> while, keeping the Bucks in the game, maybe not late, but it was good for me to see him adjusting a little bit and taking some of those without chucking up too many and to make some. Yeah, I. it's kind of funny you say that because at the time it felt like every time he was pulling up and shooting them, I mean, typically the Bucks through the season have been winning games and you're like, okay, let it fly, Giannis, let's do this thing. Uh, in, in today's game, it was kind of like, well, jeez, we, we really, really need you to make these threes and he kept doing it. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I guess, again, you know, you have to look for some silver lining and that was certainly one of them. Giannis was confident from the outside. Uh, he was working on those sort of uh, pull up, you know, take a couple of dribbles, step into it and shoot them for, I mean, relentlessly a practice all week this week. As with his free throws, he finishes 5 for 10. That's still a concern for him in the playoffs. But the three ball looked good. The confidence looked good. And I, I think that's something to take away uh, for Giannis. But, you know, you really want that to be the comp- complementary part of his game. Uh, and, you know, if he's going to take 21 shots, you want him, you know, making 13 to 14 of those and not having the 7 for 21 night. But, you did touch on, on Eric Bledsoe and and poof, geez, I uh, this is this is going to be interesting to follow now. Uh, 
I, I thought, you know, coming in after last year, and there's a lot of talk about last year, obviously, for obvious reasons, this time it gets Kyrie Irving. I, I commented that I actually thought that the Bucks were defending Kyrie pretty well. I, I, Kyrie made some really, really, really tough shots that I just shook my head and thought, well, hey, if that's the way this is going to go down, that's the way it's going to go down. You can't ask for much more. I thought George Hill defended Kyrie Irving particularly well. Uh, but again, Bledsoe, you know, you can't have five shots and four of them be from the three-point line. The Bucks cannot afford to have that be the case. I understand that the, the Celtics were really packing the paint, but the Bucks need Bledsoe to not only score, but they need him to get to the rim. They need him to put pressure on the Celtics' defense, and he didn't do that uh, today. So it was a frustrating start for him. Uh, Bledsoe wasn't available after the game. He, he got out of there pretty quickly. Uh, obviously pretty disappointed about how today went out, but... You know, he gets another chance at home. And I think this is the key for him. He needs to have a good performance at home before he hits the road to Boston because that Celtics crowd is going to be all over him come game three. So is it reactionary to think that game two is literally a must win for the Bucks? Oh, it is. I, I think I think if you lose game two, the series is over. I think they're in big, big trouble if they lose game two. I, I thought coming in, and listen, this is why I'm not – uh, I, I'm not panicking about the situation right now. Obviously, if you're the Bucks, you want to get game one and start the, the series off on, on the right foot. And obviously now uh, you're under a lot of pressure to perform on uh, Tuesday night in game two. But one thing I will point out, and this is something that I've always believed, and, and it's one of the things that you know I think it's overlooked sometimes is the Bucks lose by 22 points today. And that margin doesn't mean anything. Come, it's come tip off on Tuesday night. It literally doesn't matter. If the Bucks win game two by one point, the series is still 1-1. You don't get any extra credit for winning that game by 22 points. So the Celtics, yes, they looked really great today. The Bucks looked terrific. But by the time the ball tips on Tuesday night, that really doesn't mean anything. We've got a lot of uh, things to continue discussing from this game. But I think it's generally, uh, genuinely one of those times where the Bucks need to try and forget about this as quickly as possible. And, and straight away look at what they're going to do differently in game two and not look back because the game one is in the books now. The Bucks are playing from behind for the first time in these playoffs, their first loss in these playoffs, their first loss at home in the playoffs since uh, game six against Toronto. It's been a couple of years since the Bucks have lost at home. So, uh, you know, obviously a, a poor start and there's a lot of key guys from Milwaukee that they want, they are going to want to get going. But, uh, you know, again... It is all of a sudden, as you said, it does become a must-win on Tuesday. So, just one, and I want to, I want to get to like rotations and everything else. That was probably one of the things I saw the most sort of grief about on Twitter, aside from calls, of course. Which I, I didn't think they got the calls, but I don't think, I don't think there was twenty-three points worth of missed calls, especially at the rate Bucks make actually convert their free throws. Um, Dan Feldman at Dan Feldman NBA tweets. This is the fifth time a road team has won game one by 15-plus in the last decade, Boston beating Milwaukee. The last four, all the road teams lost the series. Clippers over the Thunder in 14, Clippers over Houston in 15, Houston over the Spurs in 17, and Indiana over Cleveland last year. So, I mean, by the precedent, every time this has happened in the past 10 years, it's been just a flash in the pan. I don't think that means the Bucks are absolutely going to win this series. Uh, I think there's some serious problems that need to be worked out, but it is important to have that perspective that, you know, it's, I think, especially in the sort of Twitter, talking head, social media, whatever era you want to call it, I think it's very easy to overreact game by game. And I, I saw it a lot in the first round. 
even like in the first half of this game, I mean, everyone's saying the Bucks are frauds, the Bucks are done. And I mean, they take a lead in the third quarter. I mean, they ended up looking fraudulent by the end, but things change so quickly. And, and as you said, I mean, point differential is useful to track things, but it, it doesn't mean a dang thing compared to games one when it comes to the playoffs. Uh, people, I will say, you, you touched on people saying the Bucks are frauds. People have been waiting for this day oh, yeah. all season long. People are going to love this. But I will say, uh, you, you know, like I pointed out, uh, the Bucks. It's been an interesting finish to the season. They really haven't had anything to play for since since the middle of March or around that that point. Uh, they had such a big lead at the top of the top of the East. Uh, they cruised through the first round. They have a week off before Game One. This was the concern coming in that the Celtics were going to hit the Bucks hard and maybe the Bucks could could suffer a letdown in Game One. Uh, I can tell you that the locker room post game was deathly quiet. Uh, these guys were really really disappointed. And uh, I, I just, being around this group and from what we've seen for the whole regular season, uh, I don't think there's any doubt that, that they are going to come out hard on Tuesday night and look to respond. Um, you touched on the rotations, and I think this is something we should talk about. I certainly had a lot of people asking me about that, uh, asking me to ask Bart about the rotations and, and, and a few different things. So in the pregame, and I'm not sure how many people saw the pregame presser with uh, Mike Budenholzer, but there was several questions, three or four questions about the rotation, whether Bud would look to shorten the rotation, uh, you know, whether Giannis and, and, and those types of guys' minutes was going to be up, the starters' minutes were going to be up. Uh, Bud t- just said no. He said that's, that's not the way we play. We have guys, we're, we're deep enough. We've had success with the second unit all year long, and we're going to continue to play that way. Obviously, today, when you look at the box score, he wasn't lying. <laughs> Giannis says. Uh, 34 minutes, which actually is uh, uh, more than he had in any game in the first round. But he plays 34, Middleton 33, but the other three starters are 25 minutes or below. Uh, George Hill plays 24. And I, again, I thought George Hill was a critical contributor in the first half uh, and, and kept the Bucks in the game somewhat. Pat Connaughton plays 25. This is the interesting one for me. Pat Connaughton minutes were disastrous today. Mm. He finishes two for 10 from the field, one for seven from three, and some of them were not close. Uh, I, I don't think you want Connaughton shooting the most threes on the roster. There was only three bucks that had double digits uh, shot attempts. Pat was one of those. I don't think that's a recipe for success. I did ask Mike Budenholzer after the game whether Tony Snell's a guy that they might look at. Remember, Tony's a guy that's been in the rotation ever since he's been in Milwaukee. Uh, Bud sort of dismissed that and he said, listen, we've got bigger problems than Tony Snell. And I, I certainly appreciate that. But uh, I, I think Tony Snell brings a steadiness uh, to the rotation that Pat doesn't. I think that's something that they may look at, but uh, it's going to be interesting to see now when the pressure really comes on the Bucks, which it hasn't been, if Bud steps away from uh, you know playing these bench guys so heavily. Yeah, point blank, I just don't think there should be a nine-man rotation in the playoffs unless you have just nine spectacular players. And I just don't... Like, Pat C, obviously horrific in this game. Early on, I was already frustrated with him because every time I see him guarding Gordon Hayward, he's just behind him. And it's like sometimes he can make a really cool block out of that. Most of the time it just means like an open shot or layup for his man, which is bad. If you're tracking at home, that's not a good thing. <laughs> um, he, besides Giannis, was lowest in plus minus. And I mean, the bench that honestly for how horrific this game was, like Nico minus eight, Ursan minus six, not terrible. George Hill minus 12, not great, but not awful. And then Pat minus 21, just a black hole on offense, didn't do anything 
Really noteworthy, in my opinion, on defense. No blocks, no steals. I mean, he had five boards. It's kind of what he does. I feel like that's his main contribution is rebounding. But do I really care how good the Bucks two-guard is at rebounding, especially in a series where the Celtics only grabbed three offensive rebounds anyway? They're, they're so focused on transition and stopping honest. They're not going to crash the board. So I don't think that's really that important. And they're going to play small. Even before – uh, Baines went down and I think it looked like an ankle. Apparently he could have gotten, he was cleared to go back in, but obviously didn't considering the game. We'll, we'll see about him going forward, but I just, I'm not worried about rebounding. I don't think rebounding is all that important. So I don't, I just don't see why Pat C should play. I mean, you take his 24 minutes, give some to George Hill who was at 24. I think he obviously should keep playing. I thought he was probably maybe the best buck all, all day and then give some to, Bledsoe and, and Sterling Brown, if he's healthy, I don't. Do you have an, an update on him? Yeah, I so Sterling obviously uh, left the game there in the third quarter uh, with back spasms, is what they called it. There was no real update after the game. They're just going to see how he feels tomorrow. Obviously, that would be not a great thing for the Bucks if he wasn't able to go on Tuesday, given that Malcolm Brogdon has already. Uh, been ruled out for game two. So that would leave them short again. That would certainly lend itself to, to Pat playing major minutes again. Um, you know, a, again, maybe Tony Snell's a guy that, that could come in and play. But uh, see, I don't, yeah. I don't, if, and it's, it's, I, don't, I wouldn't go either of those routes though. Honestly, I thought going big worked terrifically for Milwaukee and they barely did it. Uh, I pulled up the numbers here before the game and the sample size is so small, it's laughable. I mean, so I looked up three man groups because I wanted to see. The, the big, the real big front court of Brooke Lopez, Ersan Ilyasova, and Nico Miritich. Because I thought Nico and Ilyasova without Brooke, I don't like that much because you lose so much rim protection. I think that defensively, those units have a hard time. But all three of them together played a whopping three minutes with a net rating of 216.7, offensive rating of 250, defensive rating of 33.3. Those are ridiculous numbers, obviously, not even close to going to hold up. Like, that's not how anything works. But I do think it's interesting that the top lineups for the Bucks all, I mean, the next one is net rating of 83. Two, two tied with that. It's probably the same minutes. But it's Brooke Lopez and Ersan, and then a guard, either George Hill or Middleton. So I think I like those bigger groups. I think those are more intriguing to me because I think Boston, for all the things they do, I'm not too worried if if they some of their wings get matched up on Nico or, or Ersan. I'm not worried about those guys beating you that much, especially – if Brooke is there to help out, I think there's more, more positives that could be found in those lineups. I'd rather see more minutes for Nico and maybe roughly the same, maybe slightly more for Ursan. His athleticism worries me a little bit, but I'd rather see that than more Patsy or, or Snell. Nothing against Snell, but just to come in and be rusty as a guy who his ceiling anyway is you know a good solid three and D player, but nothing spectacular. I just worry asking him to do a lot right now is seems like it could be a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I don't really disagree with that. The only reason I'm talking if Bart's going to keep playing with the bench, right, right. I like I like Tony Snell because he doesn't take bad shots. He, he just in general he's more steady uh, than some of these other guys. Uh, I thought the big lineups were interesting today as well. Obviously, the probably the the crazy takeaway from the game is the only five minutes where the Bucks really had control of this game. They come back from a forty to twenty five deficit, go on a, a huge run to tie the game at forty. Uh, 40 apiece there, 15-0 run, Giannis is on the bench. Now, that that lineup that you were speaking about, that bigger lineup, that was a part of that run. 
I agree. I'm interested to see whether this big lineup is something they look to use more. It's interesting because the Celtics are going small, how that works defensively for the Bucs. But we've seen all year that that sort of added length, uh, you know, does help in protecting the paint. Uh, you know, you might be looking at giving away a few more jump shots to the Celtics, but I would like to go with that big lineup. But my only preference is that it's Giannis and then not Ersan. So you're going Giannis, Miritic, Lopez. Obviously, you would uh, hope that, that moving forward, your best patch of the game is not with Giannis on the bench because while you want those bench, uh, Giannis rest minutes to be you know, positive, if that's literally the best patch you have in the game, again, it's it's not not looking like a good recipe for a victory. I would almost even consider playing all four of them and just see how it goes. I mean, Boston's strategy against Giannis is to just pack the paint and make it impossible to do. I mean, if the Bucks can play four guys who are big, but I'm obviously like, Brooke is best as a rim protector, but protector. But we've seen he can guard the perimeter. Nico and Ersan basically have played as big wings for, I think, a lot of their careers. It's kind of just what they've done. And then Giannis has the range to guard just about anywhere. Like, I would try it. It's funky. It's different. But, I mean, if if Sterling's not going to be available, we know Brogdon's not available for game two, I would at least see what those lineups do. And and if, if Boston can't run them off the floor, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, so much of this was focused on, is Brooke going to get ran off the floor, et cetera, et cetera. Lopez, bad offensive day, one for five, one for four from deep, but He's a plus two on the day in 26 minutes. I don't think that the Horford – Horford was great, but I thought Horford was great defensively, and he was good offensively. He, he took advantage of what the Bucks gave him, but I didn't think he killed Brooke Lopez on offense. I thought that matchup was more playable than I expected, and I think if you can figure out the offense there and how to score on Horford, then I'm not as worried about defending him. Like I just think you kind of take it if he wants to take a lot of shots. I mean, that's not usually been his game, and – I thought he made a lot of good ones. And again, their offense with Kyrie making some incredible shots in the first half, with Horford making a lot of his pick-and-pop looks, still wasn't incredibly dynamic. I don't think it blew Milwaukee away offensively. I think the problem is on the other end. Yeah, and I think the big the big concern, and Al Horford was the one I wanted to get to next. He has 20 points, uh, 11 boards on, on the night. Uh, three block shots, including two big blocks on Giannis on one possession, but which we just we just don't see. You just do not see that. But uh, Horford finishes eight for sixteen from the field, three for five from three. Uh, as we expected, a lot of offense ran through Al Horford. Uh, it's interesting that Lopez is a positive on on the box score because probably as we expected all day long, it did feel like Horford had just wide open looks, and whether they were from the mid range or whether it was behind the arc. He really was just open all day long. And this is something that we talk, spoke a lot about leading up to the series. I think this is something everyone spoke a lot about leading up to the series. But, uh, you know, the only thing that you're going to really change there, and I see a lot of people screaming for the Bucks to switch on defense, That I, I think at some point, if this continues this way, that we are going to see more of that. We obviously didn't see it a lot today. And while people get really, really frustrated about uh, Bud not changing the defense straight away, I do understand the fact that the Bucks are running the same defense that they've run all season long for 86 games now, and they had the number one defense in the league. So there is more than enough sample size to suggest that this defense works. I thought today the Celtics made a ton of tough mid-range contested shots. Uh, whether or not that's something that can hold up over four games, this is what we've discussed all year long. If you are, If the opposition is getting shots that you want them to have and they make tough shots, do you live with that on a game like today and say, well, okay, 
that was one game. Can you do that four games in a row? Or do you panic straight away and move into a switching defense? I'm not sure. But I do tend to agree. I didn't I wasn't watching the game. I thought Horford was big. I thought that he was yeah, probably their most influential player, maybe outside of Kyrie, who finished with twenty six points, seven boards and eleven assists. But like we've said, they've got so many guys that they can they can they can hurt you. At some point, you 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 can't stop them all, and you need to choose a guy that you would, you know, the guy that you want to beat you. And I, I still feel that Horford's that guy. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you look at his three for five from deep, which is a good day for him, but you take that away. So from two point range, Horford is five for 11. So if a lot of those are open pick and pop looks from long twos, and he's not even going to make half of them, I mean, we know the efficiency on that's just not good. If the Bucks are playing their game, and they're getting Giannis to the rim, and they're getting open shooters. Even if Horford stays relatively warm, and like forty-five to fifty percent is pretty damn good on long twos league-wide, that's just not enough to keep up with a good three-point shooting team who also gets to the rim with Giannis. Like the math works for the Bucks' favor. That watching this the whole time, I kept seeing people, oh, this Horford is just tearing them apart. These this range, he's got these sixteen-footers, and I'm like, fine. Like the Bucks are totally okay with that. I think they're not worried about. Al Horford hitting long twos. I just think if their game is going right offensively, that's not something that is going to outpace Milwaukee's offense. Yeah, I, I do definitely think it's a good point you make because I do definitely think sometimes when Bucks fans get frustrated and they start yelling, well, why is Horford getting on the shot? It's Mike Boonholzer is watching the same game we're watching. He knows what shots they're getting. He knows they're getting open looks. And for the most part, he's been uh, happy to accept that all season long. I've thought all year long that when we when the Bucks really get into a series and things get difficult, maybe they're going to look to switch more. And we've certainly seen that at times during the year. Certainly uh, games against Charlotte come to mind where they've gone to switch in defense. Maybe today they should have tried that in the third quarter when the Celtics really got on a roll. Uh, but again, I, I just think that you know defensively it wasn't ideal, but offensively was where the problems began and finish today for the Bucks. They just could not hit a shot, as, as we said a lot, that the ball movement wasn't where it normally is. They got stuck in the half court. They didn't get a lot of transition opportunities. And uh, like I said, only 26 points in the paint. So I still do believe that today was more about uh, offense than it was defense for the Bucks. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I just think going forward, I think both ends of, of the pick and roll, we need to see Giannis do more. I just think, that's just such an easy way to get a guy moving either with or without the ball and, and to mix it up a little bit and at least make the defenders move around and, and work. Otherwise, just leave them open. Like, I mean, kind of ironically, like the Celtics treat – yeah, or like the Bucks treat teams on the other end. But, I mean, you, you just got to try something. I just don't think the Bucks are going to be able to beat the Celtics four times in, in six games now if they just keep trying to drive against the defenders because they have good defenders and – it's really hard to just score on, on a team that's very much ready for you to drive. I just don't think that is going to work anymore. I mean, I, I saw the vision of getting fouls, and I think I actually tweeted early on. I think it was Giannis had good post position on Horford and attacked him one-on-one and got the call. And I was like, that's that's fine. I mean, if you want to post up from time to time, that's fine. But after that, it just felt like a lot of drives right into him. And we've seen those either turn into charges or just really tough shots a lot. And Giannis only one foul today, but just – did not find the success attacking one on one, not even really one on one. It's more like one on three. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I'm just looking over the box score, and 
uh, I did see a lot of frustration from Bucks fans about some of the uh, foul calls on Giannis. And this is something that we've said all season long. Giannis plays through so much contact in every single game that uh, it's almost, uh, like I've said, he's almost at that uh, LeBron level now where the officials will let him play through contact and not call a foul on other guys because if not, there is basically a foul on, on every single possession. Uh, the Bucks finished with 24 uh, free throw attempts. Boston only eight for the whole uh, for the whole game. Only eight uh, free throw attempts for Boston. So uh, if you're looking for areas where the Celtics might improve in game one, that's certainly one. I would not expect them to have less than 10 free throws in the game uh, moving forward in the series. So, uh, And on the Bucks side... You know, uh, when you talk about how they just couldn't make a shot, it, that didn't stop at the free throw line either. They only shoot 62%, 15 of 24 uh, from the foul line. Just not a good night there. Uh, Giannis, uh, 5 for 10, probably the main culprit uh, in that regard. George Hill was over too. But, yeah, just, again, across the board, when you look at the shooting numbers, whether they're from the field, from the three, from the free throw line, uh, just... Yeah, a, a horrific day, a horrific day for the Bucks. Uh, yeah, and I and- just real quick. I mean, the I don't. That's really low for any team. The Celtics only shooting eight free throws, but that is kind of part of what you get also by allowing those jump shooters. I mean, you're just not likely to draw a lot of fouls on those shots. So that is kind of another reason yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind letting the Celtics play that way to a, to an extent. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, the only counter I have to that is if the Celtics, the Celtics end up winning the points in the paint count, thirty-eight to twenty-six. So uh, Boston should not. I, I think that uh, you know for the Bucks, that's definitely a number that they're going to look at and say, well, that's that's not okay. We we could not be outscored in the paint, and if we are, then uh, things aren't going our way. It means we're not hitting threes. We're not drawing the defenders out. We're allowing them to camp out in the paint and stop us do what we want to do. And when you combine that with the fact that the Celtics hit 54%, as we've said multiple times, that stops the Bucks from getting out in transition if they're not getting those stops. And when you think about that run uh, in the second quarter leading up to halftime, that's exactly how it happened. The Bucks got stops. Uh, they were able to, to get out in transition. Uh, the crowd was just ridiculous in that stretch, by the way. That was uh, you know unbelievable atmosphere in there. Uh, the crowd was ready to go all day. I, I can't believe, I, I cannot believe that I've seen people uh, you know, questioning how loud the crowd was. That was, I mean, that was insane in Fiserv during that run. And for the rest of it, again, I've said this multiple times during the year, if you're not hitting shots, what do you want the people to cheer about? They didn't yeah. have not have much to cheer about today. When you, only, when you go 31 of 89 from the field, I don't know what you want from people. No, I mean, it's, yeah, I, I, that was so dumb. I, I saw some of those tweets too, and it's just like, what should they be applauding right now? Like, I mean, that was, it was insane in the second quarter how loud oh, it was. Yeah. Like, I, I had goosebumps just sitting there. I was like, "This is this is crazy." I like, I I knew it was going to be loud in the playoffs. It was one of those things that I was like, I, I cannot believe how loud it is in here. It was really fun. Obviously, you would hope that <laughs> there was more stretches like that during the game, but uh, that's why they've got home court, and that's why they get another game too. But have you got anything else from this game that you think we've missed or you want to touch on? I just want to just stress that. I think Brooke Lopez needs more minutes unless he's just like gassed from the minutes he's playing, which I doubt. I mean, so I'm, I just got the, the on-off numbers up now. And obviously one game sample, it's very small, et cetera, et cetera. But just for this one game, I mean, basically played the Celtics about even with Brooke, a net rating of 0.1, which is best on the team by a mile. The next closest non-garbage time is Ursan at minus 15.4. So not even close. And then without Brooke, net rating of minus 55 and the defensive rating with Brook, 98.2, without 126.1. And the offense craters without him, too, 
it wasn't great with him on because the Bucks were just so bad. But I just think like we've this is proof. I mean, the the Bucks and Brooke and everyone else, and I think us as well, were right in saying he's not just completely playable off the floor. Like he's good enough to stay on the floor even in this matchup. I just think that more Brook Lopez, maybe more of these big guys even around him, just the best shooters possible, which seems like Nico is one of those guys after this game. But I just think – I don't think it's time to go away from Brook Lopez whatsoever. No, uh, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, again, you know, when you look, as we've said a couple of times now, the only uh, Milwaukee buck that actually had a positive in the plus-minus, uh, despite the fact he only shot, uh, made three points. So – uh, I would agree. I, I think that when you talk about adjustments, I, th- I think that while there's a lot of frustration today, I think Tuesday or game two is where we're going to see, uh, you know, any potential changes. They've had a good look at each other now. Uh, you know, the Bucks really get a wake-up call that they haven't had all season. Remembering they only lost back-to-back games once across, uh, or they have only lost back-to-back games once across their first 87 games that they've played this season. So uh, if we are to believe what we've seen, is uh is real and and what we should trust in the bucks then uh you know you should expect a, a much improved performance on tuesday night in game two but outside of some of the lineup stuff we've we've spoke about and and more pick and rolls and obviously just basically hoping that you hit some shots uh is there any other major adjustments that you would like to see or anything else you would like to see from uh you know from tip off on game two I don't want there to be minutes without Giannis or Chris at all. And I think those, I think you need one of those guys on the floor pretty much all the time. And I would like to see more minutes for all the, the key players. But, I mean, obviously, we'll see on that. We, we've already discussed a bit about how, you know, the Bucks like to go deep and everything else. But I personally just – I don't know. I, I think there should be very scant minutes without, without Giannis on, and Chris on the floor. I think that's fair. I would like to see uh... – the Bucks, more ball movement, uh, really trying to push the pace. I, I thought I really felt that that was when the Celtics looked uh, the most uncomfortable uh, when the Bucks were able to really push the pace. That's when you can get them a little unorganized. And if you are patient enough that you're not just going to plow through defenders that have got back on defense, then you're going to give yourself some really good looks. So I, I think that that is something we want to see. I think the Bucks need to somehow find a way to spread this defense so they can uh, get into the paint and get some of those points. 26 points in the paint is not good enough for this team. If that's about where it sits uh, as an average for the series, I don't like their chances at all. So game two, obviously, on Tuesday night, uh, the Bucks are going to be back in practice tomorrow and my feeling is they're going to be practicing pretty damn hard because uh, no one was too happy after this one. Obviously, uh, as we spoke about, their biggest loss uh, for the season, they go down 112.90. For the first time in this postseason, they find themselves behind in a series and really, as we spoke about, now face a must-win game too, which was probably not a situation they wanted to be in. Certainly not, but I mean, as you know, that tweet I referenced earlier, and you know, there there's adjustments that can be made here. The Bucks are good enough to where they they should absolutely still have an avenue to winning this series, but it's now a hundred percent put up or shut up time on this team. And I think uh, just one thing to end. I think a lot of there was I saw some people, you know, oh, everyone's being too critical of the Bucks right now, whatever. I don't know. I think if you play this poorly in Game One as the the one seed, I'd I think you deserve some flack, quite honestly. So I, I really hope that the Bucks can come out and, and prove that 
you know, they are better than a, a quote-unquote regular season team in game two. Yeah, no doubt about that. I, I Again, and we, we did sort of speak about this and you you uh, had had the numbers with game one. I, pro, I mean, I just, and I, I feel like for the most part, we've remained uh, relatively positive given the situation today. Yeah. But that's because, but that's because I guess, you know, this, this team has built up this trust with us and uh, I don't think there's any reason to make excuses for this team, but I just did feel like this was a real danger game when you looked at all the things we spoke about, including the, 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 the days off that they had, the easy run, just the really easy run they've had for the last you know month and a half. So uh, hopefully this is the wake-up call they need. Hopefully uh, we don't see a, a performance like that again for the rest of this series. And it's just another really good reminder that the Bucks are really in the playoffs now. The playoffs have begun. They're playing a serious team, the team that's been to the conference finals the last two years in a row, the team that beat the Bucks last year without Curry Evan and Gordon Hayward. So uh, this is a real team. And this series is going to be long. It's going to be tough. And the Bucks aren't going to get anything easy from Boston. So uh, I think, you know, for everyone, uh, you know, f- uh, from us and fans and the team and everyone, it's uh, been a bit of a wake-up call. Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, I'm... It sounds weird considering what happened today in game one, but I'm excited for game two, even beyond this, like what it means for this series, just what it means about this team, you know, the nature of them, how they can respond to something like this is going to be really interesting to see. I think, I think it even could have more meaning than just this series. I think it could say a little bit about, you know, this sort of this group, this, this unit right here could say a lot about them over the next couple of years, maybe. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, this is a group that we expect is going to, you know, largely be together for you know moving forward after this season. So uh, they get a chance now to, uh, you know, really prove that this Boston team doesn't have something over them in the playoffs, and this team is capable of fighting back and winning. Uh, if you win game two, then you you dust yourself off and say, okay, yeah, we would love to be up to two nothing, but. This is a seven-game series, and we've played all year to ensure that if it gets to Game 7, that Game seven is going to be in Milwaukee. We dropped one early. We bounced back. We got the win. Now let's let's get this series going again. So, look, I, I don't think there will be any real panic with the Bucks, but certainly a lot to work on. You want to get Giannis going. Bledsoe needs to, he, he needs to show up and prove that Boston uh, doesn't have him defeated. Uh, everyone across the board needs to make shots. I'm sure that everyone's going to show up on Tuesday night ready to go again at, at Pfizer. So, I, like you, I'm, I'm really excited. And I'm, I'm excited to see the response from this group uh, all year long. They've uh, they've proved that if you beat the Bucks, you better watch out the next time you play them because uh, they're going to bounce back hard. So, that's what I'm looking forward to see, whether that, as you said, was just a regular season thing or this team has it in them to make the changes, make the adjustments, and, and get a uh, an all-important win. One hundred percent. Is that is that everything? Do we did we wrap this game? I think we're done until Tuesday night, when hopefully the series is tied. And if not, it might be a very sad podcast. But I'm still remaining positive. I think everyone should remain positive. There uh, wasn't a lot to take from today, but uh, can only get better from here. That's all I can say. <laughs> I think that's I think that's fair enough, and I'm I'm glad we're we're done with this one. Yeah, let's, uh, let's quickly move on from this. So, as I said, 7 p.m. Uh, Tuesday night, game two. Uh, the Bucks will host uh, the Celtics looking to tie the series. 
We will be back with episode 21 after that game, recapping hopefully a, a better performance by Milwaukee and the season is, uh, is, is right back on track. So, Ty, uh, we missed you on the last one. So it's good to have you back. And uh, have a good uh, off day for the Bucks, and, and we'll uh, speak again on Tuesday. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, uh, you know, I did a little load management, but now I'm back and fresher than ever. So thank you, Kane, as always, and thanks to everyone who listens. You know, make sure to subscribe, rate, review, everything else. Listen to each episode six times, whatever you got to do. And uh, we'll uh, we'll be back after, fingers crossed, a, a Bucks win in game two.